In that prayer, Sean mentioned a lot of names of women in the Bible, moms in the Bible. And we're going to talk about another mom in the Bible today. It's strange, though, that her name doesn't appear in that list. But her example of faithfulness, her example of courage and strength, are examples for all of us. So I wonder if you would join me today, whether in your Bibles or on the screen, as we go to the second book of the Pentateuch. We go to the second chapter of Exodus, starting with the very first verse, and we read this story. Chapter 2, 1 through 10. And this is what is written. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. God's blessing on the reading of his word, for this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The story is told about a, a teacher teaching a class of second graders all about magnetism, what a magnet is and what it does and how it functions, and the second graders were absolutely amazed by this. And so the next day, she decided that she would give a written test to her second graders, and it started out like this on the test. You're probably familiar with tests like this. The teacher had written, my full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was rather amazed that more than 60% of the students answered the question with the word, Mother. I pick up things. Mother. Isn't that true, moms? Along with other things, a happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you. Any of you who have nurtured and touched a child's life in whatever fashion, I tip my hat to you today with a great deal of respect because yours is not an easy job. You probably have the most underappreciated job in the entire world. 
And most of you would say, yea, verily, to that. We live in a world that throws an awful lot at you. But I want everybody to remember to be good to your moms today. Especially if your moms are present. Take them out to eat. Send them flowers. Send them a note. Call them on the phone. Hug them. But appreciate your moms today and what they have done for you. That's not always the greatest of stories. But these women have given you life. They have nurtured you and set you ready for the world that we face. Today's message is not being about being good to your mom. I would hope that each and every one of you would do that. Today's message is more about the hard choices that mothers need to make. It, parenthood is not for the faint of heart. Any of you who are parents or grandparents know that. It often requires tough decisions, decisions that can be risky and oftentimes are heart-wrenching. Tough decisions, decisions that really require a depth of faith in God. And we're going to hear more about that today. Because I want you to think of a woman that is only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. You've just read this passage And despite her low profile, she provides a wonderful portrait of a mother of faith. A mom of faith. Now she is mentioned in Hebrews 11, where we have a long listing, you might call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. This woman is mentioned in Hebrews 11, along with many others. But her name is only revealed once in the entire Bible. One time. In the book of Numbers, and this is what is written in that verse of the 26th chapter, the 59th verse. The name of Ammon's wife was Jacobeg, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron, Moses, and Miriam their sister. Jacobeg was the mother of Moses. Now, you should know that the nation of Israel had been essentially in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. They grew and they prospered there as a group of people, as the chosen people. But they became a threat to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh decided to enslave them, to make them do his bidding, his work. In fact, it was off the sweat of their brow that cities like Pittim and Ramses were constructed because it was off the backs of the Hebrew nation. And Pharaoh had hoped to break the people, but he didn't break them. They prospered nonetheless. And so Pharaoh decided to turn up the heat a little. He decided the next best thing to do was command all the Hebrew midwives to murder the newborn sons. That doesn't sound strange and ridiculous anymore. Haven't we heard that before? Or we'll hear it again when Herod becomes involved. To murder all the Hebrew sons. And yet, what does Pharaoh find out after he makes this decree? He discovered that he couldn't rely on the Hebrew midwives because they feared God more than they ever feared the Pharaoh. So again, the population continued to rise and there were more and more Hebrew children. So then Pharaoh ramped it up again. And he said, any of you, who stay and look out for a Hebrew baby. If you find a Hebrew baby boy, you take that baby and you throw him in the Nile and drown him. This is when Jacobeg became pregnant with Moses. 
She didn't have to worry about Aaron or Miriam. They were already grown. But now she's pregnant with a child. And she's fearful. I think those are some of the most fearful times, speaking as a parent. You're, you're always on watch of, of what's going to happen with the baby. You know, your wife has to make sure that she does everything right. Of course, the husband is there. I'll do whatever you want to. And she says, you've done enough. And he says, okay, I, I just want the baby to be all right. I, you know, how many, what do you do, count five fingers or ten to five fingers? Ten fingers and ten toes? You're always concerned about that. And I'm sure Jacobeg was certainly concerned about that. Can you imagine the fear that she was living in, that her child would be taken and thrown into the River Nile? And you say, well, that's not unusual. Well, it's not quite unusual, but think about today in places like in Africa or the Middle East, when it's known that people will come into your house and take your boy child and enlist him in the army, make a child soldier out of him. It's not unusual at all. It still happens across the globe. Now, we may not have that in America. We may not have people who steal babies or throw them in the river. But I think we threaten our children nonetheless, and we depend on our moms and our God to see us through. Sometimes we think about drowning our children in the river of violence. How about these shootings that we have in schools that continue and continue and continue, and we just had another one this past week. School used to be the safest place you could be. Along with church, that's no longer a safe place. Think about that. Think about the violence we have in our society and how it drowns our children. Think about the promiscuity we have in our society. All you have to do is watch the TV, watch the Internet. The lines between right and wrong have been merged, and it's just a gray mess You never know where one ends and one starts anymore. We've rationalized and justified just about anything. We've blurred it in our society. I wonder if our children don't drown in a river of promiscuity as well. Or perhaps they drown in the competitive nature of our culture. What did we have a few weeks ago? I don't think I read that much about it, but didn't we have a bunch of parents who were paying ridiculous sums of money so that their children could go to a specific school? Really? Really? That's what it's gotten down to? You throw morality right out the door and say, hey, I'll grease your palm with a little money. Make sure my kid gets in the right school. We live in a very competitive society. We reward performance sometimes a lot more than we, per- we reward character, don't we? It's all about performance. And I wonder whether that's another river that we don't drown our children in. It's a dangerous world out there. It was a dangerous world when Jacobeg became pregnant with Moses. She did everything she could for her child. And when she could do no more, she depended totally on God. Her faithfulness in God is what saw her through. She was certainly a courageous woman. I would hope all of our moms are courageous But Jacobeg was certainly courageous. Look what it says here in Scripture. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king had said all the male babies get thrown into the Nile and here's Jacobeg and her husband disobeying the king, hiding Moses for three months. That takes courage. Now, I don't know about you, 
But how in the world do you ever hide a child for three months, especially a newborn? I remember when our granddaughter was born up in New Jersey. I don't know what she had. I don't know whether it's colic or whether she was just upset, but she wouldn't go to sleep. Man, she just cried and cried and cried. And if she was awake, everybody within about a 25-mile radius of the townhome was going to be awake because she was loud. And if she was awake, everybody was going to be awake. How do you keep a child like that quiet? You know, we keep putting pacifiers in their mouth. They keep spitting them out, and they keep railing some more. How do you hide a child for three months? I don't know how you do that. Can you do that? I don't think so. Somehow, Jacobet succeeded in hiding Moses. You know, some of us think of faith as passive, but faith is not passive. It's an it's a idea that you really have to act on. You have to be active. Letting go and letting God is not a passive th- thing. Sometimes it requires activity. It requires action. Sometimes your faith demands that you do risky things. You can't sit on the back row. You can't sit on the back row. you got to get down front and do risky things. I think about the mothers who have been unable to conceive, and yet they have seen that as the opportunity to adopt children or to foster children. That takes courage. That takes courage. I think of mothers who are married to unbelieving husbands, and yet they courageously decide to defy their husbands so they can expose their children to the truth of God's Word. That takes courage. I think of mothers who stand up to their teenage son and daughter and say no when the rest of society is saying yes. That takes courage. I think of mothers who give up very lucrative careers and their friends think they're crazy, but these mothers give up those careers because they want to stay at home with their children and raise them. That takes courage. Jacobet had that kind of courage. But all mothers who have that kind of courage find out that they want to please God more than they want to please society or want to please our culture. They trust in their obedience to God. God is calling them to do something specific, and these ladies in our lives do it. God will take care of them just as he will take care of their children. So the first thing we must be is courageous. You must be courage, courageous. You must have courage. But Jacobet didn't just have courage. She had a certain degree of strength to act. Remember, I said faith is not passive. It's active. You've got to do something with it. Let me give you the example. You can be brave at the front lines in a foxhole with bullets flying all around you because most people don't want to be there. And it took a certain degree of courage to get in that foxhole in the first place. But then you have to have a strength when the time comes, a strength to get out of the foxhole and to run toward the enemy, to take action when it's demanded of you. So you not only have to be courageous, you have to be strong in your activity. You have to be strong in your action. Jacobeg was most certainly strong in her action. She had done everything she could. She had hid Moses for three months, but now she had to make a little wicker basket. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew, if you look at it, the word for basket is the same word for ark. 
Noah and the ark, Moses and the basket. Same exact word off the same root. She made a basket. She covered it with pitch to make it float. Then she put it in the reeds of the Nile. What's the Nile known for? Any of you out there? What's in the Nile? Crocodiles. Lots of crocodiles. Lots of crocodiles. So here we just put a three-month-old infant in a wicker basket in the Nile with crocodiles. Any of you want to raise your hand and say that's what you thought about doing with your three-month-old? No. You may have thought about it, but you don't really want to do it. She put it in the Nile with crocodiles. But Jacobeck was also very smart. She had a plan in the process. She was dealing from a position of strength. She knew she had to do this. But she didn't place him out in the middle of the river, right in the middle of the shipping lanes, and saying, have a nice life, Moses, see you soon. No, no, no. She placed him in the reeds near the shore. This was the place where the women would congregate. They would come to to bathe or to do their laundry. Surely that wicker basket would be found there. So Jochebed, out of her strength, acted. She put Moses in the basket. And then she asked Miriam, his older sister, to walk at a distance and to see where the basket was and what was going on. And lo and behold, here comes Pharaoh's daughter. And the plan all starts to work. Whether Jacobek thought it would work this way or not, no one knows. When they discovered Moses in the Nile, his sister went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Do you want me to go get a Hebrew woman to nurse him? Jochebed had been strong, but she was also realistic because she understood that this action was dangerous but was the only thing left that she could do to save Moses. You know what? I think of mothers who are strong. Strong to give up their child for adoption. I know that's heartbreaking, but I know some women have done that because it was the only thing that they could do for whatever reason. It was for the betterment of the child. And they gave that child up for adoption. I think of moms who would rather be stay-at-home moms and raise their children, but financially in their family, they can't. So what happens? You know, maybe they find a, a friend or a neighbor who can do some babysitting. Or maybe they alternate schedules with their husband, so there's always somebody there for the child. But these are women who would rather do other things, but in their strength, the first and most important thing was the well-being of their child. What could they do? Just like Jochebed, you have to be strong in your action, even if it means putting your child in the wicker basket in the Nile. When Pharaoh's daughter, of course, saw the basket, she opened it up. She took pity on the child because she already knew it was a Hebrew child. And it was the standard practice, of course, for wealthy women to have somebody else wean that child, to wet nurse it. So at just the right time, Miriam, Moses' older sister, came up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, I can find somebody for you. And then she goes to Jacobet. Jacobet not only got to raise her child, she got paid for doing it. She got paid for doing it. I can't help but see God in all of this. I can't help but see his fingerprints throughout all of this. Pharaoh's chosen method of death, the River Nile, had become Moses' chosen method of salvation. 
the baby was reunited with her mother. Think about those happy days. She was able to raise her child during the most formative years of its life. She was able to teach Moses about God, about Abraham, about Isaac, about Jacob. And then at the right time, she released the child to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became a member of Pharaoh's court. And in so doing, he was able to learn law and rhetoric and mathematics. And then what happened? Then Moses led the chosen people, some two million, through the Red Sea, through 40 years in the wilderness, to the top of Mount Nebo as he looks over the River Jordan Valley into the Promised Land and the salvation of those chosen people. God's fingerprints are all over this. Jacobeg was doing what she could as a mother, but in the end she had ultimately had to have in faith in God that he would see it through. God is never mentioned once in this entire passage. Never mentioned once. But he's still at work. There are things that our mothers can do, but ultimately they have to leave it in God's hands. That's the hardest thing we face as moms and dads, isn't it? Letting go. Letting go. Mother's love never changes, but parenthood is a constant process of letting go. Letting your young children make mistakes. Letting your teenagers find out the hard way. How about letting your adult children leave the nest, maybe sometimes go far, far away, following a calling, following a job? How difficult it is to let your children go. I've seen it once. When my wife put my daughter on the bus for first grade. And then I got to see it again when my daughter put our granddaughter on the bus for first grade. <laughs> Letting go. The most difficult thing we can do. But mothers, take heart. Even though you may be courageous and strong, you can accomplish his purposes just by having faith in the touch of God. He's working behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes for the purpose in your children's lives. And he will use you. It's not all left up to you. You know, one of the interesting things in this passage, if you start to study it, and I look through the commentary about it, this passage talks about very a prominent role of women and motherly instincts that play into this story. You look at it throughout Jacobet Saul that Moses was beautiful. Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket, saw the child crying. Moses' sister Miriam stood in the wings and noticed what would happen and when to act. And all of this foreshadows God's action. Later in this very chapter, when you go down to the 25th verse, God looks upon his people there in Egypt who he sees as suffering, and we're told in verse 25, God saw, same exact word. The sons of Israel, he took notice, same exact word. You might say it was God's motherly instinct that saw his people suffering and saw that they might be released from captivity. 
It's God's motherly instincts that sees us worthy of being delivered from the tomb of death through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. The same motherly instincts that we have from our moms, God also shares with us. We don't have to do it alone, but we do have to do it. Ladies, the most important thing you can do, and I should say guys, you too, is to give your children a foundation in faith, to make sure that they know who God is, to make sure that they know how much God loves them, to make sure they know that God is a part of their lives. That's what we need to be about, both as moms and as dads. The story is told as I close today, and you've probably heard this before. It was at a dinner party, and someone turned to a full-time mom and said, and what is it that you do, dear? You've probably heard that before, haven't you? What is it that you do, dear? And without batting an eye, the woman responded, I am currently socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant value of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And what is it that you do? I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor, I don't know. Moms, you have a very important job. God's blessing upon each and every one of you and upon your children. It takes courage. It takes strength. And it takes faith in the fact that you are not doing it alone in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Your ultimate purpose is to foster a courageous, strong faith to instill your children with a knowledge, a faith, and a love in God the Father Almighty. God sees and knows your children, and He has a purpose for your children. That's why He is so decisively moved in this world, especially through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want to leave you with one thing. Number one, don't worry, moms. It'll all get better. That's easy for me to say. I'm a dad. But I want you to remember this. God is in the midst of the dirty diapers and the spit-up and the strewn toys across the living room floor. God is in the midst of all of that. It just takes a courageous, strong faith to see Him there. To see Him there. And trust that amid the mess, God has a plan not only for us, but for our wonderful, wonderful children. May you always trust in Him. And may you have that kind of courageous, strong faith that is needed to raise godly children. Would you bow your heads with me, please?